Welcome to the Professional Drinkers Podcast, brought to you by choosesunrise.co.uk. I'm Janet Hadley, and this is for you if you're an HR professional, a business owner, or a leader who'd like to explore the drinking culture in your workplace. I'll bring you lived experience stories, expert views, and tips for creating an alcohol-safe workplace without killing the buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Professional Drinkers podcast. How are you all doing? And can you believe that we're already past that first half term of the year? For those of you who've got children at school, it's just Chris, they've only just gone back from Christmas. (laughs) How did that happen? Um, It's interesting, isn't it? Our perceptions of time and how they seem to vary. Um, For me, it's the very last year of having any children at all in school, although obviously university is calling. And so I don't think it'll be the last of the uh, half term and school holiday terminology that we use. Um, Although I am very much looking forward to being able to go on holiday outside of school holidays, which is going to be super exciting and save me a fortune. Can't wait. Um, And uh, yeah, as we kind of look forward and think about the days getting a bit longer and spring being just around the corner, um, we're thinking about our guest for this week, who really reminds me of spring and sunshine and daylight and colour. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit more about Sophie, our guest, in just a moment. Before I do that, I just wanted to mention our plans for Alcohol Awareness Week. We have taken um, so many bookings now. I'm so excited that we're going to be delivering live events as well as webinars. We're going to be doing line manager training and we're going to be doing one-to-one screenings um, to help find people who might just be a little bit afraid of asking, putting their hand up and asking for help in the workplace. So we're doing lots of confidential work as well with people who work for some of the UK's largest employers. So we are going to be super, super busy over the next few weeks. And one of the things that we'll be doing with these employers, of course, is sharing our stories. Um, Not just myself, but other associates who work for Choose Sunrise will be going out into the workplace and sharing our own stories to sobriety. And that is the single biggest thing that I think we can do to start breaking down stigma in the workplace. And I'm super, super excited to be part of this movement um, and leading the way, really, for others to find their voice and to, to share their stories and to reach more and more people. Which brings me neatly on to Sophie. Um, so Sophie um, Turton is the director and founder of Brand Storytelling and Social Impact Agency, wait for it, Electric Peach. What a name. Isn't that fantastic? And you'll find out in this episode um, where that name came from. So watch this space. Um, And have, you must Google Electric Peach and have a look at Sophie's website. It is beautiful. It's an absolute work of art. It's stunning. (laughs) So Sophie is um, a mental health and a recovery advocate. She's a coach and she's a mentor. And she sits on the board of Recovery Connections, which is a lived experience recovery organisation. She's super, super passionate about the power of storytelling. Um, And, you know, in her words, stories unite us in our differences and create positive social and environmental change could not have put that better myself Sophie Um, I should actually apologize Sophie's surname is no longer Sophie Turton it is Sophie Lee Sophie has got married since um, she completed this form (laughs) so congratulations Sophie Uh, you'll find Sophie as Sophie Lee now on social media and on LinkedIn and yeah like I say give Electric Peach a Google it's 
definitely worth a few minutes of your time. So my guest this week is the lovely Sophie, um, Sophie Lee. She was known as, she is now Sophie Turton. So you might see her. Under... No, the other way around. Oh gosh. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was, oh, Sophie Lee is your new name and Sophie Sophie Turton (laughs) is your old name. So Sophie Lee it is. Fantastic. Oh, I'll have to make sure I get that right. Um, and Sophie is the founder of Electric Peach, which is um, it's kind of a marketing agency, but it's with a very big difference. It's really all about storytelling. It's a storytelling agency. Is that right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> you you I tell us. Don't really, I don't really like marketing, but it, yeah. kind of, it is a marketing agency. It's, yeah. um, it's a brand storytelling agency. Um, and essentially, we use the tools of marketing and advertising to do good in the world on behalf of SMEs and purpose-driven organizations, B Corps and social enterprises. Fantastic. That sounds so lovely. And we're definitely going to hear a bit more about that. Let's go back in time a little bit though. Let's start at the beginning and perhaps maybe we can hear a little bit about your own drinking story and like when did you first get introduced to the the wonderful and not so wonderful world of alcohol? Um, the the first time that I that I had properly like a proper amount to drink, I think I was fourteen, and me and two of my friends had squirreled away little tiny parts of our our parents' alcohol cabinets for a couple of weeks, and then decided because we didn't really understand alcohol, so we didn't know that that what it <laughs> that it did something massive for a long period of time. We thought that we would get away with drinking all of these and it was spirits as well yeah while my mum was out and she was she was coming home at like 10 and we thought we had loads of time um and she came home to find me absolutely paralytic covered in puke uh so it started as it went on yeah (laughs) (laughs) what was your mum's reaction then was she okay was she did she take it in a stride or she upset with you she was she was really really angry and well she came home to find my friend trying to make a cup of tea with the tea bag inside the kettle. And that Ooh. was when she was first like, what's going on? And yeah. I was like, totally passed out. She let me sleep it off. And then she woke me up at, I think something like two or three in the morning and made me go and clean up. Oh, wow. <gasps> oh, yeah. Wow. She's quite brutal. Um, yeah. And she's not, a, she's not really a drinker. She'll have like, she's one of those people who can have like a thimble of wine and then be like, oh, that's me done. Yeah, yeah, interesting. (laughs) I don't understand that wizardry, but um, yeah, so that was the beginning. And then I just from that point on used alcohol as everything, really. It was every single social occasion, every single opportunity to drink, I, I would drink and it very, very quickly snowballed. Yeah. Yeah, and and like me, it sounds a bit like me. I loved alcohol from the beginning, even though it made me ill, and I loved what it did. And I just, as soon as I got drunk the first time, I just wanted to do it again and again and again. And I don't, yeah, you're nodding, and like I, I, I do think that one day they will discover some kind of gene that means that you have, or like there's something about some people that just makes them like fall in love very very quickly with alcohol and so many of the people I've met in the sober space had that (laughs) 
And I don't want to, I don't want to in any way like pathologize anybody, but I, undiagnosed, very much relate to a lot of the, the traits of ADHD. Yeah. And um, neurodiverse, like neurodivergence. And I certainly think that for me, it was that lacking dopamine that had that dopamine hit was really like a, a kind of like, like more overstimulated my mind my brain more than maybe what other people's did yeah um and it could I mean that could be just like that is just a theory and it's not something that's necessarily important really but it's just interesting to think that those same people often have either got undiagnosed ADHD or late diagnosed ADHD or dealt with a lot of mental health issues before alcohol came along and provided them with a very toxic long-term fix for yeah. the feelings that they were experiencing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, there are, oh, yeah, I could think and talk about this all day, but yeah, there's probably a combination of circumstances <clears throat> and physiological elements to it. But for whatever reason, you and I both fell in love with booze and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and then fell out of love again with it. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about your your, your oh. drinking career and, and let's talk about, the workplace as well within this and what role the workplace had it plays a massive role actually um so I had periods of I had I did I went through that period where it was like ridiculous even to think that I wouldn't drink like I was yeah. one of those people that thought if you didn't drink then you were really boring and why oh, yeah. would you why why would you do that of course yeah. you're not going to do that yeah. um I was a real I, sober shamer actually I was like oh god god don't be so boring Come oh, on, so yeah, I was yeah. terrible, awful, yeah, same, <laughs> yeah, same. And then I look back and I'm like, I was always the biggest shit show in any situation as well. Mm-hmm. So yep. I don't think yep. I was like the pinup of like how how to be cool. Um, no, but I definitely thought I was at the time. Oh God, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I yeah. So then I went to university and it got more and more and more and um started to do drugs really regularly um and it was always felt recreational but looking back on it it was certainly the beginning of of, of potentially a big issue yeah and then when I was 21 I moved to Prague um early early 2009 recession had a degree in English and creative writing what else do you do go and teach English as a foreign language yeah um and that was like kryptonite. <laughs> Prague is, is a city of booze. Yes. Just like there's nothing to really well, that's not true. It's stunningly beautiful. There's lots to do. Yeah. In my mind, <laughs> there was nothing to do. Um <laughs> but sit in these really cool old pubs with my expat mates drinking yeah. excessive beer. And this yeah. is the thing in the Czech Republic in Prague, there are bars that are hooked up to computers that have and screens that have um beer pumps in the middle of the tables and it's a competition to see which table can drink the most and Whoa. so you're sitting there and it's gamifying the process of drinking star apartment wow and it's like that wow. is normal that's the culture like there's a huge alcohol problem in, yeah. in that part of the world yeah um, that's and then interesting you add british expats yeah sorry I said that's really interesting. I mean, I thought alcohol advertising was out of control in the UK, but I, I think even the UK, I think the UK would draw a line at that. I, w- I would have hoped. 
I don't know I though. Don't say. Yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. If there's a market for it, I think. Yeah. It'll, Gamification it'll find of binge drinking. Mm, to be fair, you know, beer pong, whatever. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, yeah it happens all the time, doesn't it? But yeah, that's yeah, quite extreme. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was the norm, and, and I and I had at one moment I had a realization that I really needed to do something to snap myself out of this. What I now look back on as a sort of the beginning stages of alcoholism because that was my entire life was spent teaching English or drinking or recovering yeah um and then I decided that the only thing that I could do that would snap me out of this and this is when I was 23 was to move to Shanghai because China really scared me so I thought oh if I do that then it will snap me out of it uh rock up in (laughs) Shanghai I was going to say, I, I spent a lot of time in China in those times because I was a buyer and I used to go all the time. It was very boozy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, it's not the same kind of boozy either. It's no. definitely a different a different chemical yeah. compound entirely. Yes. Um, in China, you can pay the equivalent of £10 to go into a club and have free drinks all night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so. they don't they don't have any measures. Everything's kind of free poured, so you don't have got no idea how much you're drinking. Oh, I've yeah. lost hours and hours of my life in China. Yeah. Terrifying, actually. Who knows what might have happened? Yeah. I've probably only got one kidney. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, actually, um, I had a, this is when I had my first kind of proper shock. Um, I went out one night um, was was it wasn't just alcohol but I would have been able to tell that I'd been spiked if I hadn't have been drinking yeah and I woke up in a warehouse surrounded by Chinese men and they were holding my bag and I sat on a chair and I was just like they're gonna kill me like that was like it was like a real like this is I had it was very bizarre because I can't remember it very well at all and then the next thing I know, I'm waking up again and I'm running away and I'm in the outskirts of Shanghai. No idea how I got there. No idea where I am. Totally like not non-compassmentous and ended up being able to flag down a cab and get to my friend's house. And that was obviously, I mean, and luckily nothing happened. Like they didn't wow. do any of the things that you might think could yeah, be yeah. the thing. Um so yeah it was like absolutely terrifying that is terrifying um, yeah and then I um at that point just decided oh um I really do need to to take a break and and do something about this yeah and because even though I'm sure it was a case of being spiked I would have known that something was off if I hadn't have been drinking and I would have felt the the kind of early onset of that peculiar feeling and I was in, in China on my own at 23. It's like totally unsafe. Yeah. yeah. So I did. That was my first time stopping. And I started to get into running. And I felt for the first time in my life, I stopped smoking. And I felt for the first time in my life, like actually, oh, okay. Yeah. Life's actually a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, um, and, you know, now I, and after that point, I then came back to the UK and felt like 10 men I was like I've done you know this and I don't drink anymore and all this and very very quickly got pulled back into drink culture here yeah and then another six years of drink and and heavy drug use all the way through building up my career which brings to the workplace 
um, I worked in an agency, a creative agency, which was so normal to go out after work and drink yeah. way too much on a school night and do loads of cocaine. And it, oh, lol, I had two hours sleep, but I'm here for my client meeting. It was like the norm. Yeah. yeah. Nobody thought that's actually really worrying. <laughs> like, no, it just, it seems like that particular, I mean, there's other... It's not just creative agencies, like people who work in recruitment, anyone who's been in the military, um, actually quite a lot of teachers. <laughs> there's, there's doctors, surgeons. There's a lot of people who've come on this podcast who've said the same thing. It is quite normal, isn't it, in the workplace yeah. culture for people to bond by basically staying out all night, drinking and taking drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not exactly. that unusual. Yeah. It was... It was, and that was, that was the whole culture of it. Um, and I, you know, and by the time I left that, I was the, the head of my, my department and we would have members of my team would be coming in in the morning and like throwing up in the bin. Yeah. And we would, again, we would laugh yeah. about it. We'd be, yeah. It would be just like, ha, ah, what yeah. are you like? Ooh. <laughs> and usually I'd been out with them until yeah. 2 or 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I was that boss as well. Um, you know, plying the drink with shot uh, the the team with with shots and um, telling them not to worry about the morning and you know everyone would be in, but you just open your laptop, sit there for a few hours and close it again. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> there's just no work was done. Um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Why would you want to employ a team like that? <laughs> Oh dear. No idea. And then it's when you stop, it's such a, an anomaly that you get yeah. so much abuse for it. Yeah. That it yeah. doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's part of the culture. Um, yeah. And it's really, especially rife in creative agencies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it is. And in marketing in general, it is, you know, quite, it's quite work hard, play hard, isn't it? Really tight deadlines, big budgets plenty of money sloshing around lots of expenses accounts dealing with clients entertaining clients you know it all adds up to the perfect place to hide an alcohol issue in plain sight really yeah exactly alcohol and in my case it was an alcohol and cocaine problem yeah and it was just so it and it went on for so long as well and nobody yeah. I think in in hindsight, with talking to people who I'm still good friends with, who worked with me at the time, it was like, no, it was really, it really was obvious. We knew that you had a problem, yeah. but we didn't yeah. really know what to say about it or how to deal with that. Um, yeah, because I was always the one that would go too far. Like, yes. always the one that was like one yeah. more, just one more. Like it was yeah. in hindsight now, and then hanging out with my friends as well, I realised like. Oh, actually, no, you're actually quite moderate. It, yes. It's me. I'm the yeah. I'm That the was problem. a revelation for me. When I stopped drinking, I was like, oh, you know, first night out with my mates, they're all going to be absolutely shit-faced and I'm going to be sober. And what I realised was that everyone else just doesn't drink anywhere near as much as I did. And uh, yeah. it's actually fine being sober with them because they've only drunk a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And they were like, yeah, it's oh, loads actually... it's loads more fun going out with me now because we don't have to put you in a taxi at nine o'clock. So, you know. Yeah. Not yeah. crying on everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I had that recently. I had a few friends around for dinner and they brought with them a couple of bottles of wine. I think they brought like four bottles of wine and it was just the two of them and me and my husband. And I thought, oh God, this is going to be annoying. Um but and they're quite new friends they didn't know that I didn't drink um but they had 
just like a bottle and a half between them and they were like oh gosh it's been a hard week so we've really gone overboard and I was looking at it thinking if I was drinking we yeah. would have gone through all four of those bottles and I'd be back at the shop yeah <laughs> like, definitely that's yeah. moderate to me yeah. <laughs> you only had one and a half yeah definitely De- I mean I would think nothing of having half a bottle of wine it'd, it'd easily be one you know, if I'm going to sit down and drink, I'm going to drink. <laughs> yeah, which again, yeah. I think comes back to that interesting point of the dopamine hit, because to me, it was like just having one or two wasn't actually enjoyable. No, I didn't really I, like the taste. I didn't no. really like the feeling when I was like having just a bit of a messy head. Mm. It was like it had to be all or nothing. Yes, me too. Exactly. I drank to get drunk. And I think yeah. there are pockets of people up and down the country who are in this category and whatever the root cause of it is, at some point you're going to run into some kind of difficulty with this. And I do think that employers are uniquely well-placed to spot and act upon this and just to provide an environment where it's normal to talk about it and it's there's good quality signposting in place you know like if you'd have gone to your creative agency and said I'm worried about my own drinking what on earth would have happened do you think you would have had any support I think I probably would because the CEO had gone through a similar situation and he was too yeah. interesting um, yeah I think it, for me it was more it would have been more helpful if someone had come up to me and said I'm worried about you. Like, are you okay? Because actually I was so not okay. Like everything about my life at that time was full of abuse. I was in an abusive relationship with the person I was owned a flat with and with myself, which was far more important anyway. And I think it would have been really obvious, but, and I'm sure people talked about me in the office behind my back. Oh yeah, me too. But never Mm. thought, let's, actually find out what's going on here and I and yeah. that for me is why it's so important to move through the stigma around addiction yeah. or abuse substance use disorders and mental health to get to a point where we are comfortable in as comfortable to say to somebody I really don't think you're okay what's going on in the context of mental health as we are you seem really ill you're coughing all over me you need to go yeah. home with physical health like yes. It yeah. needs to be something that's so normal. It does. It really does. And it's the stigma that stops people from seeking help because, um, I, I, well, tell me, what, how long was it from you thinking I might need some help to actually going and asking for some help or to doing something about it? Years and years and years. Yeah. Like, I yeah. would, I would, I remember once, I, the first time I like, went since I've moved back from China. I did uh, Sober October and I lasted for two weeks, which I was really proud of, but did coke like three times in that time. And it didn't occur to me that like, well, that's not really being sober, is it? And I told told everyone, (laughs) I've done two weeks, I've done two weeks, I'm so pleased with myself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it took like a lot of, you know, similar to being kidnapped in China stories Mm. (laughs) for me to be like, okay, I'm out of control of this situation. And if I don't do something, I'm probably going to wind up dead. Like as much as that sounds dramatic, it really was that kind of extreme situation. 
Um, and yeah, it took me years to get to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and actually do it. And what, and it what was did so make so... you do it? What, what was the, was, could you pinpoint what made you decide to change? Yeah, I had a really awful experience with this really awful man. It's like, yeah. use your imagination as to what that kind of yeah. situation could be. And couldn't really remember it, but I knew something really bad had happened. Yeah. And that was really scary. It yeah, was like, I've put myself in this situation in my own home as well. that like, I can't yeah. remember, but I know in my like higher consciousness self that something yeah. bad has happened. And I was just like, this is enough is enough. Like I yeah. have to do the work now. Yeah. And it yeah. was unbelievably painful. Like yeah. I like to go through all of the trauma that I had been drinking to forget and the yeah. trauma that I had created for myself in the cycle yes. of being this complete liability and self-abuse was just so painful. Like yeah. so, so painful. But yeah. honestly, when I... I did so much work on myself and so much like healing of every kind that I could possibly do and was dealing with like mental health issues that I've had ever since I was a kid. And I don't think, I think they're related to childhood trauma and alcohol was a, as a symptom rather than the cause of it, but then became an, a never ending cycle. Yeah. And I just remember like after maybe about a year into it, just being like, why did nobody tell me how beautiful the world is? It was like yeah. suddenly I could just see everything and was like, trees are really cool. Yeah. Like, did you know that trees are really cool? Yeah. Like, and I could like, oh, this is so like, relatable. Yeah. It was really odd. It was like the first time I think in my entire life I'd ever experienced actual joy. Yeah. And was just like, why did no one tell me that this is yes. what living is like, what this is like to just exist yeah. <laughs> like... yeah I know isn't it just the most fantastic thing and this is one of the really my favorite favorite things to do is um when I work with employers I quite often do a talk called sunshine sobriety and all it is really is telling people all the things that have got better in my life since I stopped drinking as well as telling them a bit about my story and I love it because it, it it doesn't have like an immediate effect. Nobody goes home and goes, that's it. I'm going to go sober. But I get emails all the time from people who say, oh, I heard you. I heard your sunshine sobriety like two years ago. And now I'm three months sober. And now I know what you mean. <laughs> and it's just it just plants that seed. Um, and I think it just gives, you know, you say it was years and years till you did something. That's what, where employers can help because they don't need to tell people what to do, but they can provide inspiration and they can provide normalization of the choice not to drink. And they can provide signposting of resources to things like books and podcasts and groups that people can join and all this sober universe that's out there that you don't know about as a drinker mm -hmm. and just point people in that direction if they choose to go down that path you know no one's going to force people to stop drinking but just put it in front of them and see who takes it up you'd be surprised at the impact it has and and I, I just wonder what would have happened to you if in those years and years you'd had a little bit more inspiration some sober role yeah. models <laughs> I think that I think that is that is definitely it because it what took me to that point was definitely role models and people in my life that I respected a lot 
stopping drinking, who was like a drinking buddy with me, and seeing how they glowed and seeing how much happier they were and being able to relate to their stories and like you know reading for me a big game changer was reading Catherine yeah. Gray's um oh, yeah. uh, the life uh, the unexpected joy of being sober and being like oh my god her story is my story that's really yeah. really horrible because yeah. she obviously ended up going really really far down the road to addiction yeah um so yeah I think all of those things would have been really helpful and also even just like and this is something that I really, really want employers to think about. When you're organizing group get-togethers, they almost always revolve around something to do with alcohol or even in a space where alcohol is the main feature. Like, okay, yeah, you can have an alcohol-free option in the pub, but it's still a pub. And that's the norm. And I just think it, it's so difficult to go down the road to stopping drinking and being bombarded with alcohol culture everywhere you go, not having any support from your peers or your workplace, and then every single social opportunity is also surrounded by alcohol. Like, of course, people yeah. don't go and take the first step, or of yeah. course, people end up falling off the wagon again. Yeah, I know, which just incredibly unhelpful. Most workplaces are an incredibly unhelpful environment for someone who is struggling to stop drinking um mm -hmm. and then i i know dozens of cases of people who've relapsed on work nights out and with various different consequences ranging from you know getting back on the wagon the next day through to getting divorced and losing their job so you know it's yeah. dangerous territory it really is it really is it's no joke and i and i don't i think because we've got such a normalization of these things and it's like ha 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 lol like i remember i was at a, i was outside a pub a couple of years ago overhearing a conversation and my ears always prick up when people start talking about alcohol and um these people were talking about how hilarious it was that one of their friends fell through the shower screen the night before oh. and i was like what how yeah. is that funny yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then I'm not judging because I'm sure I thought all sorts of ridiculous yes. things were funny. Like... Yeah, no, I know I did. I know we used to laugh about the most dangerous of things, really. Um, and I suppose you know there's a comedy element to some of the stories. Of course there is, but what I think it's only since I stopped drinking that I see them in a different light, and they just seem yeah. so dangerous and out of control and self-destructive. Um, with it's my sober head on, yeah, I just think wow. And the laughter is just masking what you know deep down is actually something much darker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so what would you like to see from employers then? What kind of um, initiatives do you think employers should be doing more of? So you've already mentioned events um, and like thinking about being a bit more inclusive when it comes to organising events. Anything else? I think facilitating opportunities to have conversations around yeah. alcohol, around mental health, it's so closely linked as well. Um, yeah. Creating safe spaces for people to talk about when yeah. they're feeling concerned about their own stuff. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's really about a culture of inclusivity. Um, yeah. And I, I'm a trustee of a lived experience recovery charity. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is like addiction or substance use disorders are not listed as a, as a protected characteristic. Yeah. 
In fact, they're specifically specifically called out as not protected. Which is just wild. Wild. As somebody who's dealt with an awful lot of different mental health issues, that was the hardest one to deal with. Yeah, I um, agree. I agree. It's not... It's It's not not fair, really, is it? (laughs) No, it's not fair. And it's almost like people are set up to fail, actually. And I think we have a weird culture of perverse satisfaction when people do fail yeah and without realizing that that failure could cost somebody's life and that is not a joke and i and i think that for me is the thing that i wish employers understood yes that this is something that is so much more serious than just choosing to imbibe a liquid or not like it's not about the liquid as much as it is about the impact that that has on absolutely everything and also, I know for 100% sure that I was nowhere near as effective at my job when I was surviving on an hour's sleep yeah. on a cocaine and alcohol come down. <laughs> surely, surely you want someone not surrounded by crisps and different forms of hydration staring at Facebook for you the entire yeah. day. Like... Exactly. I know. It's incredible. It is incredible that, um, I mean, if yeah... I, I run a, a business that's based on sobriety. I think it'd almost be a recruitment criteria for me to to say that I don't I don't think anyone would apply if they weren't sober. Actually, no. um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the productivity that you get from sober people. It's worth it just for that, isn't it? Um, there were yeah. some great stats um, from someone who I interviewed who is based in the US, and they talked about the loyalty of people in recovery um, and how if you can employ someone who's been through um, a long-term alcohol or drugs problem and they're in long-term recovery and you employ them, how much more loyal they are as an employee than a regular average employee. And they'll stay longer, they'll work harder, they'll be more engaged. Uh, it was really interesting data, actually, and I can I can really understand that. Yeah, I think my my genuine perspective is that there isn't anybody more heroic than somebody who has come through the other side of substance use disorders yeah it's similarly i would put i would put mental health in that entire cat in that within the mental health category but specifically that because you you have to like you have to fight to get out of that that hole you do and that to me that's that says everything about someone which is another reason i think it's utterly bonkers that there's any kind of stigma around it yeah like people should be coming up and like (laughs) high-fiving you how did you do it yeah yeah yeah. i totally agree i know there's so much stigma and you're right these people have for mental battles that some people have not even started and they have yeah. they know themselves really really well they're standing in their authentic selves and they've reclaimed their own power it's like someone described getting sober as a radical act of self-empowerment and i just thought yeah. yes that is it that is what it is that was carl considine by the way (laughs) uh who has the love from bar in manchester (laughs) yeah what a brilliant what a brilliant quote i love that i keep using it but i do credit him so (laughs) but it's also a radical act of rebellion it is because it's saying to the status quo like i don't i am prepared to stand outside of the pack and say no this this is not i don't want to be in this anymore i'm 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 plugging myself out of the matrix 
and dealing with the consequences of that, mm. which for a lot of us, especially those of us that drank to fit in in the first place, is hugely triggering. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Hugely yeah. triggering to feel like you're an outsider. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I'm so grateful for the community that exists in, in yeah. the UK and I know in other countries as well, where it's just the most supportive place that you could possibly be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's fantastic. And it's really good um, to hear your perspective from, you know, that creative marketing industry. I wonder how much things have changed since you've been out on your own. To be honest, I think not that much from what not, I hear. Not at all. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. I know that I know that because yeah. I go to Not events yeah. or I do a lot of facilitation and I'll facilitate yeah. at events and yeah. at the end of the, the the event there's like here have a glass of Prosecco it's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wonder who the first um marketing agency will be to become an alcohol safe workplace let's find out <laughs> I, I'm going to help you find them and yeah. get you get get to Sunrise and your alcohol free safe. It's alcohol safe workplace, isn't it? That's, that's the right, yeah. accreditation. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, accreditation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on, I, agencies, I you know. can do this. There must be what someone out there who thinks, do you know what, that does sound like a good idea. <laughs> We're not saying that you what? can't drink anymore, by the way. We're just saying that we have a culture of inclusion where it's okay not to drink as well. Yeah, that's, that's we're really looking at you, is. agencies. We're looking. That's Come on, targeting someone like step this. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still have the opportunity to be the first in that industry. So yeah, Amazing. I think it's quite PRable as well. So, there and you, you know that there is nothing that a marketing agency likes more than, than a the PRable PR. angle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Monochrome fantastic. and PR. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> So before we wrap up, I've got a couple more questions. So um, I always ask all of my guests to tell me what is your favourite book and why? <laughs> in the, the world spot. or Squitlet? Oh, in the world. Any book. Oh my God, that's really hard. It's a tough question, isn't it? Especially Ooh, for a youth. I, can't I know you're a reader. I tell you my favourite book because well, I've got good too one. many for different reasons. But I can tell you my favourite poem. <laughs> oh, yes. Which inspired the um the name of my business electric peach um and it's the love song of j alfred Prufrock, which is by t.s Eliot, and it is um a really long rambling poem about getting older and there's a line in it that says do i dare to eat a peach and for me that line has like kept me going in so many situations and i've got like like mantras around my room which says yes i do dare and my friends buy me peach related things even before way before I named wow. my company um so the peach for me is a symbol I actually had it tattooed on my wrist oh wow yes I, yeah yeah um when I first stopped drinking um so yeah the, the peach is a symbol of daring and pushing for a more extraordinary life and not looking back like jail for proof rock and wondering whether <laughs> it was for anything at all um yeah so yeah, that's my favourite poem. Oh, I love that! What a brilliant! And and, I, and I've just got a little insight into where your electric peach name came from, which is exciting. And that was going to be my final question: was how do we find out more about electric peach, and how do we find you? So you can find me on in on Instagram. I'm oh, never on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, <laughs> Sophie Lee. Now, Sophie um, Lee. and uh, you can find electric peach at electricpeach.co.uk. And it is and well we're worth also a visit. on Instagram, but I don't use it very often. Well, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I, 
Go and visit the website. It's extraordinary. I love it. Oh, <laughs> it's wacky and it wild. Is. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, fantastic. So thank you so much, Sophie, for being my guest. Um, and I wish you, you the very best me. of luck with your storytelling. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sophie, for being my guest and for being so vibrant and colourful and adding a splash of colour into this wintry day for us. It's been fantastic to meet you. And Sophie is also a very active member of our Sober Business Networking Group, which if you're listening to this and you're a sober coach, an entrepreneur or anyone who owns their own business and you happen to be sober, come and join us. We have such a warm and welcoming networking community. Um, we're at soberbusinessnetwork.co.uk and we would love to welcome you into our group. So give that a little check out. For everyone else, for the HR managers, the diversity and inclusion people and health and safety amongst you, we have our monthly webinar series continuing. So that is on the first Friday of each month. And you can sign up for those either on LinkedIn, actually, or head to choosesunrise.co.uk and go to the um, accreditation section, so the alcohol safe workplace section, and you'll see a big yellow button that's got all the live events behind it. So you can sign up for there. They're all free. Um, and I'd love to welcome you and see a little bit more of you guys in there. So thanks so much for listening. And I will see you next time. If you'd like to learn more about creating an alcohol safe workplace without killing the buzz, visit choosesunrise.co.uk and head to the HR services page. Let's end the stigma because nobody should feel afraid to ask for help.